we started last week uh, a series for Christmas called the Wonder, Rediscover the Wonder. Uh, we're looking for the things that, that bring back that wonder of Christmas. And um, this morning, I want to uh, delve into one of those wonders, and that's the idea of joy. Uh, when we think about Christmas, many of you may have memories going back of your childhood that bring back that, that idea of joy. And when I think about Christmas in the home that I grew up in, uh, we had a lot of fun, a lot of fun. You see, one of the things that was different in our home, we would, we would start out the morning, we would find a way to wake up our parents who lived and then their, their room was a few floors below us, and so we would have to wake them up somehow, and then we would race to the steps, and we would line up on the steps by age, so me and my little sister were at the bottom, closest to the presents, and then all the way up to the older siblings, and dad would finally wander upstairs, and he'd say, well, you're welcome to go down there, I'm not sure if there's anything down there, and we would race downstairs. But the thing that I, I didn't realize that was so different about our home is that Santa didn't wrap gifts. When we got downstairs, there were a pile of gifts and a name tag, but nothing was wrapped. And years later, I began to realize that Santa couldn't afford to wrap presents for 11 children. So while there may have been one present under the tree that was wrapped, on Christmas morning around the fireplace, it was a, a, a pile of unwrapped gifts. So uh, Christmas happened almost instantly, which was okay because then the very next thing was get ready and go to church. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, and all of those memories are good. But as you get a little bit older and you start to realize everything that goes into making the holidays happen, there's an opportunity for you to lose some of that joy in all of the preparation. And, and some of it is understandable, and some of it has to do with our perception. Um, and as we think about Christmas, there are a couple of words that come to mind that we hear repeated in some of the carols that we sing. Joy is one of them. Hope is another. Peace. And those become very prominent words this time of year. And I wonder, I can't help but wonder, if the reason we focus on them is because the other 11 months of the year, we're living at a deficit. We're missing out on the joy and the hope of the peace that's, that's supposed to be a part of our lives year-round. And so um, we think about that. And say, how do we get that back this time of year? And I would even challenge us, how do we get to the point where we experience that year-round. Last week, Pastor Steve referenced the prophecy in Isaiah that took, uh, took place 700 years before the birth of Christ. And the prophet uh, was speaking for God into a situation where things were not going so well. And he gave them this amazing prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And it's a very familiar verse this time of year. And it says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And those are very encouraging words. In fact, the nation of Israel would hold on to that promise, hold on to that hope for seven years before it would finally be fulfilled. They had something to look forward to. And here's what's inter interesting is there's no timing given in that prophecy. The people that were holding on to that promise, the hope that came that brought them joy, would have to sustain them for 700 years. See, that, that's what, that was something that they had to look forward to. 
The prophecy was fulfilled in the life and the birth and life of Jesus Christ. And he's, he's still with us. There, there is hope in what did happen, but we still have hope for what will happen. We still have hope for what will happen. And I think the early church got it. As I mentioned during the pastor's roundtable a couple of weeks ago, that I had spent a lot of time reading through one book over and over. And one of those was 1 Thessalonians. And Paul said this in the introduction uh, as he was writing for himself and some of his team that were uh, writing this letter back to the church. He said this in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Enduring hope. See, they weren't looking backwards. Hope doesn't look backwards. Hope looks to the future. This church was after Jesus' ministry on earth, after his death, burial, and resurrection, but they still had enduring hope for what was going to happen. Last week, Pastor talked about uh, this idea of what does Merry Christmas means. He said, it's have a joyful time celebrating Christ. That's what that greeting means, have a joyful time celebrating Jesus Christ. And if you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to go to our website to listen to the podcast uh, and get caught up on it. And we wrapped up that service by having communion together. And the picture we painted in communion is it's this celebration of what he did, of what he's doing in our lives, and what he's going to do with his return, the past, the present, and the future. He did come to fulfill the word, to fulfill that prophecy of Isaiah 9, 6. And we have hope and joy today because of who Jesus is and what he's doing in and through our lives. The promise is not that we wouldn't have troubles, but if instead of focusing on the troubles, we focus on the hope that we have in him, that's where we get that joy. And the hope that he will come back should fill us with joy during this season. But here's the thing. It's not based on the fulfillment of that promise because that would be conditional. There are many people that are very excited because they've seen the wrapped presents under the tree with their name tag, and they know in a couple of weeks they're going to get to open that. But then that moment will end. For 700 years, Israel had to to lean on that prophecy, to lean on that hope and experience joy in that. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about some of the heroes of our faith, those who did, did extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. But it also says that they, they, those people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. See, our hope, our joy can't be in what we know is about to happen when we celebrate Christmas Day. It's in what Jesus is going to do when he decides to. And we walk in that incredible faith. We walk in hope for what's going to happen. It doesn't matter when. That's up to God. And we're, we should be okay with that. So many didn't see that those promises fulfilled. And I imagine that's what the church in Thessalonica looked like. They were known for their hope, their enduring hope. But they didn't get to see Jesus return. Most of the early church lived in that joy and that hope that Jesus was coming back, and they didn't see it fulfilled. There are many saints, part of this this congregation, who lived in that hope and experienced that joy who didn't get to see it happen. And we ought to be living in that hope and walking in that joy, regardless of whether or not we get to see it happen in this lifetime. 
So what are the things that, that take this away, that, that uh, take away our hope and ultimately take away our joy? And I think the thing that, that gets in the way is we get distracted. We get distracted. I have almost four teenagers in the house. They get distracted. They get distracted walking from one room to the next. We've asked them to do something, and it's, it's, it's gone by the time they get there. And that's okay. That's okay. But for, for us, how do we get distracted? I think there are two ways we get distracted, by not doing what we're supposed to be doing and by doing what we shouldn't be doing. And one of the saddest examples in all of Scripture of someone who wasn't doing what he should have been and was doing what he shouldn't have been is King David in 2 Samuel 11.1. 1. It paints a very sad picture. That, that chapter opens up by saying, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. It was the season when the king should have been out with his, with his army, and he chose to stay back. He wasn't doing what he should have been doing in that moment. And then verse 2 goes on to describe that while he was looking over the kingdom, he, he eyed a beautiful woman and began to pursue her, which was something that he had no right and should not have been doing. And we know the story of David and how that ended for him. But if you look back, he wasn't doing what he should have been, but he was doing the things he shouldn't be doing. He got very distracted. If we get to that point, we end up losing our hope and we can end up losing our joy. There is real joy found in Christ, but if nothing is different about our lives and the way we live it, then we're going to miss it. I had a great time this past semester working with Chi Alpha and sharing with the college students, and we took the, pretty much the entire semester and walked through the first six chapters of the book of Nehemiah. And one of those chapters that stood out so distinctly to me was chapter 5. And I'll back up and set up by chapter 4, the book of Nehemiah, the walls around Jerusalem were, were half built. They were making fantastic progress. Now there was this separation between them and their enemies. And chapter 4 goes on to describe how they dealt with conflict outside the wall. The enemy was raising all kinds of problems, um, and, and they had to deal with that conflict. But chapter 5 begins to talk about conflict that was happening within the walls, within the Israelites. They were in conflict with each other. And we talk about followers of Christ, people who follow God. We ought to look and behave a little bit different than those that don't have that hope and those that don't have that joy yet. And so what they were doing to each other, they were kind of imploding. They had taxes that they had to pay. So one, one family would lend money to another, which was a good thing, but they were charging interest, which they were strictly forbidden to do. Nehemiah began to share with them, he said, the, the word distinctly says, if we go back and look at the law, you should not be doing this. It, it got to the point where it was almost extortion. People were selling their, their children into the service of their brothers and sisters to, in order for this to happen. They weren't doing what they should have been doing, and they were doing things they shouldn't be. In fact, they looked just like the people that they were trying to separate themselves from. They were specifically going against what the word told them to do. So let's go back to Isaiah 9, 6. 
And that was that, was, that prophecy was the, the answer that God was speaking through the prophet to bring hope, to bring joy into a situation. But what was, what was going on that caused them to be distracted? Well, we, we see what's going on back in the first verse of chapter 9, which says this. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Again, he's painting that picture of what's going to happen, the joy that's going to come. This is the promise, but you need it because of this time of darkness that's going on. Well, what was that time of darkness and despair? What, what was happening? Well, the answer to that is found just a few verses before in chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. Let me share verse 19. If you'll hold verse 19 on the screen for a minute, it says this. Someone may say to you, he's talking about the situation they were living in, someone may say to you, let's, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people of God... Shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Shouldn't the living seek guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? If you look at that verse, they were trying to do things that they ought not to be doing, and they weren't doing what they should be doing. That's painting that picture. This was the darkness and despair that he was talking about. Verse 20, I think, is the real eye-opener. It says this. Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict the word are completely in the dark. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. When we find ourselves deviating from what the word tells us to do, we end up looking like people who don't have that hope and therefore don't have that joy. We look like the people in Nehemiah chapter 5 who were living in a, in a difficult situation and they were led astray because they weren't doing what the word told them to do. When we're in that kind of situation, we tend to fall in line with what the world is trying to sell us through TV commercials. Well, I saw in a commercial, if I get this for Christmas, I'll be happy. Or if I buy this product, it will bring the joy that I'm looking for. And that's not really the kind of enduring hope that followers of, of God should be looking for. We become distracted. We're not doing what we should. We're doing what we shouldn't. So if we, want, if we want to be like that church in Thessalonica that was known for their enduring hope, how, how, do, how do you continue in that? How, if, if that's where you are when you first come to Christ, how do you get there? How do you continue to do that going forward? And Paul had an answer for them a little bit later in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. He says this, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. And as I read through 1 Thessalonians over and over and over, that verse just kept jumping out to me. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business. Well, I thought as followers of Christ, we should be out there impacting the world and making a difference. And at first glance, it looks like Paul is saying, go huddle in a corner and stick to yourselves. But that's not what this verse is saying. When he says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, what he's encouraging them to do is to live a calm life quiet-tempered, peaceable life. 
It speaks to the type of work that the Spirit produces. And the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is self-control. I've, I've mentioned over and over and over uh, to those who I get to share with on a regular basis that we cannot live and react to every emotion that jumps into our head. Emotions are a good thing. They're a gift from God. They're a part of how we were designed from the beginning. But if I responded to every emotion that came into my head, first of all, I might be sitting down grabbing a water bottle right now. Or, you know, we, we can't just live on emotions. We take them in, we process them, we measure them against the word of God. But we can't just do every emotional thing that jumps into our head. So when he says, live that quiet life, he's saying, Let the Spirit do its work in you to produce that life of self-control. He goes on to say, minding your own business and working with your hands. What he's saying is uh, that we need to be doing what we're called to do. Be focused on the things that you're supposed to be doing. What has God called you to do? What has he gifted you to do? Or maybe he's saying, if you work for an employer, you need to be faithful in every aspect of your job. We need to be diligent in all of those things. And if we're people who don't emotionally respond in a a poor way, if we're people who are in self-control, if we're faithful to our employers, if we're doing the things that God wants us to do, we will actually stand out pretty drastically in the world today. I believe that. I believe that. We will actually be living a very counterculture life if we have that spirit of self-control and we're doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, if we're faithful and diligent. That's, I think, the direction that we want to get to. So allow me to give you some practical things. And then I want to bring it down to a bottom line here. We're talking about how to experience joy, rediscovering the wonder of Christmas. We want peace. We want hope. I think one of the most important things we need to do We need to control our time. We need to control our schedule because it's real easy to get out of control. I wish I had these verses on the screen, but uh, I I didn't ask for them. So let me share them with you because there's a phrase in each of these three verses that I think will give us some insight to controlling our time. And it's uh, in Ephesians 5, verses 15, 16, and 17. The first verse says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Be careful how you live. We've got to to maintain control. Verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity. God gives us these opportunities. Maybe it's to pull that card out of your wallet and invite someone to the Christmas Eve candlelight service. Make the most of every opportunity. And then verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. We've got to control our time. You know, recently I was challenged by a young man who had a question for me, and I don't want to embarrass him, but he came up to me and he said, Dad... And his question was about involvement in the church and serving and observing, you know, why don't more people do this or why aren't people doing this? And, and so we just began a great conversation. He wasn't going anywhere because I was cutting his hair. So I had a captive audience. But we, we, we talked about it. And one of the things that I think we came to understand in that conversation was that one of the reasons we don't see people serving more is because we filled up every moment of our time said, well, if, I'm suppo- if the word says I'm supposed to be doing this, that's another night out of the house, but I've already eaten up all the other six nights. 
And I don't want to be gone every night because then I'm not doing what the Word has told me to do. So we've got to find that balance. Because here's, here's the truth. We can't have all that Christ wants for us. We can't have all of the promises in the Word if we're trying to behave like the world. We can't have all of both. If we're going to live a life dedicated to God, it's going to mean we have to make some choices to give other things up, which may sound difficult, but I think ultimately what it would do is open up our eyes to the hope that we have in the Word and will give us that kind of joy that we so desperately seek during the month of December. Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. So here's my bottom line. Yeah, I know we said we want to control our time and be careful of that. But I think one of the ways we really grab hold of the hope that we're looking for to experience the joy that we're supposed to have during this season is we need to focus on the word. We need to focus on the word. And that can look like a couple of different things depending on where you're at. And if you've, if you've given your life to Christ, you said he's, he's my Lord and Savior and I'm gonna follow him all of my days. Maybe what we just need is a renewed commitment to being in his word as individuals, as families. Because I talked about those things that eat up our time. Well, they can also eat up our, our devotion time, our personal time with God or maybe your family devotion time. It's easy for those things to fall off the schedule when we've got to hurry through dinner because we've got to go somewhere. And I, I get that there are seasons when that can happen. But we, we've, got to, we've got to continually come back to that. And this is a great time of year to begin to practice that. Family devotions, Advent. We've got a story that we're reading in our home. So every night after dinner, we'll gather around and read the next chapter leading up to Christmas. Perhaps you need to reevaluate your schedule and bring it into proper balance. And that looks different for each family. What I do in my home doesn't necessarily work for you. If you've got really young children, they're all consuming. Your children get a little bit older, you get maybe a little bit more control. But whatever it looks like for you, you and I need to evaluate, am I spending the time in the Word like I should be? Because that's where we read those, those amazing promises that We'll have a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. And in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And maybe it's just a conversation you need to have with God about where you're at in your time in the Word. And I'll, I'll open up the altars, and you can even spend some time up front. And coming to the altar doesn't have to be a dramatic thing where you feel the Spirit dragging you down to the altar and there's this huge emotional response. Sometimes you just need to get out from the people who are in your peripheral vision and just get alone where He can speak to you. doesn't mean that you've, you're, you're a horrible sinner if you come down to the altar. It just means you're someone who wants to spend some time seeking God, spending some time with Him. Spend a few moments. Make a commitment to God based on what the Spirit's been saying to you today. You're going to have that opportunity in a moment. But I need to also address that there are likely people who have not fully committed their lives to Christ. Let me say this, that any joy you find in the holidays apart from Christ will quickly be consumed by January. The new year comes, 
And all of a sudden, that the joy that you experience because there were lights and garland and poinsettias, that's all going to disappear. And January is going to come, and the bills are going to come, and you're going to be perhaps right back where you were. So what does it mean to spend more time in the Word? What brings true joy? I think that's, it's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 One of Christ's disciples who followed him for three years, writing down his account of who Jesus was, who Jesus is, he opened up by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was speaking about Jesus. And so if you haven't made that commitment, if you haven't put Jesus in control of your life, um, I want to invite you to begin to have that conversation with God right now. And it begins by recognizing that we're imperfect. We've sinned. We've fallen short. We repent. We turn away from that. We make that decision to say, God, I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to live the life that you're calling me to lead. And then we ask Jesus to be in control of our life. And we begin to seek the word to give us that guidance and direction. So you can have that conversation right there in your seat But I will also say sometimes you need to get rid of the distraction and you can come up front and have that conversation with him up here. And then if you want someone to pray with you, uh, some of our pastors and other prayer members would be happy to do that. So I'm going to invite Pastor Melvin to to lead us in a chorus. And uh, I'm going to invite you to stand as we close this morning. would ask you to just hold your place for a moment and they're going to lead in song, and if, if you want to come and have a conversation with, with God about finding that hope and finding that joy and maybe making a commitment to reevaluate your schedule, the altars are open for that. If you, if you recognize you need more of the Word, more of Jesus, and you want to make a commitment to Him, the altars are open for you as well. Our prayer for you is that this season you would rediscover the wonder of Christmas, that you would find the joy and the hope that we have and all the promises that uh, God provides. I want to close with a, a passage that Pastor reads regularly on Sunday morning, a blessing over each and every one of us as we go our way this morning. It says this in Numbers chapter 6, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. I pray you have a fantastic week. Thank you for being with us this morning. We look forward to seeing you on Wednesday.